Emancipate yourselves from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our mind. Oh, have no fear for atomic energy. Cause none of them can stop at the time. How long shall they kill our prophets? While we stand aside and look. Yes, some say it's just a part of it. We've got to fulfill the book. Won't you hear to sing? Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Um, it's been a really difficult week for so many people. And uh, this morning is Pentecost Sunday. And it's a Sunday, uh, you know, primarily telling the story about God's spirit moving in the community of the early Jesus followers, the beginning of the book of Acts. And this morning, I'm going to read part of this text, and then I'm going to rely a little bit more on scripture in the voices of others. Uh, we're going to listen to a clip from uh, Michael Waters, who has spoken at Mission Hills before. And uh, we're just going to kind of process um, the Pentecost uh, text and Pentecost Sunday in light of this week's events and the killing of George Floyd. And we're gonna, just going to kind of see where that leads us, and then we'll talk about it on Sunday morning. So I'll start us off by reading the Pentecost Sunday text, which comes from Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to start in verse 14. That's when Peter stood up and backed by the other eleven, spoke out with bold urgency. Fellow Jews, all of you who are visiting Jerusalem, listen carefully and get this story straight. These people aren't drunk as some of you suspect. They haven't had time to get drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. This is what the prophet Joel announced would happen in the last days. God says, I will pour my spirit on every kind of people. Your sons will prophesy, also your daughters, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. When the spirit, when the time comes, I'll pour my spirit on those who serve me, men and women both, and they'll prophesy. I'll set wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and billowing smoke, the sun turning black and the moon blood red before the day of the Lord arrives, the day tremendous and marvelous, and whoever calls out for help to me, God will be saved. The word of the Lord. Well, I think I want to start this morning by um, just mentioning um, how devastating it is to lose another person to just unbelievably senseless uh, police brutality and violence, uh, the kind that we've seen uh, way too often in the last several years, and, and particularly in the last couple of months uh, with the killing of Breonna Taylor, and um, it wasn't a police shooting, but in Ahmaud Arbery's case where he was hunted down, and then now with uh, George Floyd. So uh, I think I want to start this morning with just uh, some things that I had heard and read this week about uh, George Floyd and those that had friendships with him. Uh, as a guy from Houston, 
uh, did a lot of ministry in the Third Ward area in Houston, and uh, one of his friends had said that uh, George Floyd was one of the most spiritual men that he had ever seen, and uh, people called him Big Floyd and uh, the Gentle Giant, and he just seemed like such a beautiful soul from everything that I read and heard this week. There was a great Christianity Today article uh, talking about some of the ministry work that he did in Houston, and I'll, I'll post a link to that. Um, but it's just it's just absolutely devastating um, and infuriating that we are still having this kind of absolute racist, um, purposeful violence um, in in twenty twenty. Uh, and during of all times, during a pandemic, when things are <laughs> uh, already so bad, um, almost unimaginably so, um, um, that we just need some space to grieve a little bit. And I think that there's so much space and validation within our tradition and within the sacred text um, for this grief. Um, you know, I'm thinking about last week we talked about uh, returning and, and returning to church. That was, you know, a lot of uh, the, the cultural topic last week with uh, the president, you know, saying that he was going to overthrow the governor's um, restrictions that uh, houses of worship couldn't meet. And I was thinking about that idea and the collective anger and grief that our country's experiencing right now with another police killing um, and I, I wanted to just hold a little space and um, maybe remind us that we have so much space in our in our text, in our spiritual imagination uh, for this kind of grief. Um, I th- was thinking of the the prophet Amos, who you know spoke in his time about increased injustice and a growing disparity between the rich and the poor, and. In, in one of his uh, writings, he says, you know, I hate and I reject your festivals. I don't enjoy your joyous assemblies. If you bring me your entirely burned offerings and gifts of food, I won't be pleased. I won't even look at your offerings of well-fed animals. Take away the noise of your songs. I won't listen to the melody of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. I think this text shows us that our tradition cares more about justice than church services and cares a lot more about the well-being of all people than offerings. And I just want to hold a little space for for this uh, prophetic thread in our tradition in order to, to grieve and to lament and be angry. Uh, you know, God says in this text in Amos, I hate and reject your festivals. I don't enjoy your joyous assemblies. You know, how many times has there been uh, an instance of racist violence and we just keep going back to normal and back to church? And, uh, you know, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, gather on Sunday mornings, and it's just joyous assemblies. It's just songs. There is no collective grief. There is no anger. 
There is no mobilization towards what God is asking for in this text. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Nothing, no change is called for. Nothing happens. Uh, That's the kind of uh, anger I think that our tradition expresses. Uh, Not to mention uh, the grief texts like, How long, O Lord, must I call out for help? but you do not hear. I cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Uh, In Job, uh, a similar text, Job says, I cry out violence, but I get no response. I call out for help, and there is no justice. Uh, How much has this been our experience? Psalm uh, 13.1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face? 13.2. How long must I wrestle with my soul, with my sorrow in, sorrow in my heart each day and night? How long will my enemy dominate me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my words of groaning? Psalm 22.2. I cry out by day, O oh my God, but you do not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. Jeremiah 14, why are you like a man taken for surprise, like a warrior powerless to save? Yet you among us, O Lord, and we called out your name, but you you do do not forsake us. Zechariah 1.12, then the angel of the Lord said, how long, O Lord, will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, which you have been angry with these 70 years? And, and since it's Pentecost Sunday, it's, it's worth asking, what, what is the church? You know, the Pentecost Sunday is often called, <clears throat> Pentecost Sunday is often called the birthday of the church. You know, how many times, for how long is the church going to gather for songs and not gather for justice? How many times is the church going to gather for a Bible study and not mobilize people for policy change. What is the church, and what is the purpose of the church? If the movement of the Spirit 2,000 years ago created this group of disciples in the way of Jesus to do something, to embody something in the world, it's worth reevaluating what we're actually doing. What are we actually embodying? You know, are we making a loud noise for justice? Uh, I, I hope you don't watch Fox News, but if you've spent any time watching Fox News, they're very obsessed with the riots. Very obsessed with the riots. Uh, it's almost like uh, they're not reporting what the riots are for. They just like the riots. So, and the looting. They're really, they really love the looting. But this text that I read earlier from... Uh, from uh, Peter's sermon, which comes from from Joel. You know, it says, The last days I will pour out my spirit on every kind of people, sons, daughters, men will see visions, old men's. Um, I will pour out my spirit, men and women both. Uh, but then we have this sort of doomsday scene, right? Blood and fire, billowing smoke. Uh, you see where I'm going with this. Uh, the The movement of the spirit is a riot for justice. We need 
riots and uprisings because there is no justice. And until there is justice, we must continue to, up, to, to rise up and riot. I think this might be the most prophetic role for the church today. You know, I hate your joyous assemblies. Where is the anger to the injustice? You're just going to go back to church and pretend like everything's okay? Is that what we're going to continue to do? 300 years in the making, that's what we're going to continue to do. We're just going to go back to church and pretend like uh, we don't have mass inequity all across our society. Is that what we're going to do? What is the church embodying in the world? What are the people that um, consider themselves Christians that gather? There's nothing wrong with that. What are they embodying in the world? Uh, I was thinking about uh, a couple of quotes um, I started uh, reading uh, the theologian James Cone, um, a 20th century theologian uh, of black liberation theology, and um, he wrote this. He says, black power is the gospel of Jesus in America today. That was my central theological claim as I reflected on the Detroit Rebellion. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I went to bed thinking about it. I got up in the morning thinking about it, and I thought about it all day. I was obsessed It was like a revelation, a sudden bolt from the blue, a fire burning inside of me. I didn't say a word to anybody about what I was feeling and thinking. I simply meditated on the claim for months, thinking about its truth and wondering why I hadn't thought of it before. Then, to my surprise, I boldly asserted in a theological discussion with white friends from graduate school at the annual meeting of the American Academy of Religion in November 1967. And then he writes, uh, you know, the Black Power movement, of that movement, though it challenged King's nonviolent philosophy, I never thought the black power, black power in terms of violence and hate. Rather, it expressed the necessity of black people asserting their dignity in the face of 350 years of white supremacy. Black power is the gospel of Jesus in America today. Uh, what, what if our gatherings around church had that radical of a message. And you know, even uh, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, in talking about riots, um, yeah, he says, I, I think America must see that riots do not develop out of thin air. Certain conditions continue to exist in society, which must be condemned as vigorously as we condemn riots. But in the final analysis, a riot is the language of the unheard. And what is it that America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear that the plight of the black poor has worsened over the last few years. It has failed to hear that the promises of freedom and justice have not been met. And it has failed to hear that large segments of white society are more concerned about tranquility and the status quo than about justice, equality, and humanity. And so, in a real sense, our nation's summers of riots are caused by our nation's winters of delay. And as long as America postpones justice— We stand in position of having these reoccurrences of violence and riots over and over again. Social justice and progress are the absolute guarantors of riot prevention. And I mean, you know, it's absolutely devastating that that message is over over 50 years old and and that we're still here and uh, we just have cameras that, that film this kind of stuff now. Uh, and we have a 24-hour news cycle. Uh, but, you know, the, the message is 
is the same. And if you if you watch Fox News, um, then you would you would imagine that the problem is as the looters and you know not the president of the United States that incites violence and uh, you know conjures up the memory of the racist George Wallace when it says well, when the looting starts the shooting starts right mm-hmm. uh, that's not the problem uh, the problem is not uh, mass inequality and mass justice across every sector of uh, American society that disproportionately affects African Americans uh, that's not what the outrage is. Uh, it's the looting in in the target that's the problem. That needs more police. You know that needs to be uh, controlled. And yet, when there's a Nazi protest in Charlottesville, the president says the Nazis are very fine people. Or when there's mass protests with assault weapons at the Capitol in Michigan a few weeks ago, he calls them very good people and urges the governor to make a deal. And yet when it's a protest for black lives, uh, then the president calls them thugs on Twitter, right? Like this is how it goes. And this is perpetuated by uh, the president of the United States who dog whistles to white supremacists and racists and has a 90 plus percent approval rating among Republicans and and still has an over 80 percent approval rating uh, by white evangelicals. You know, Jerry Falwell, who is the president of the largest evangelical university in our country, Liberty University, tweeted last week that the only mask that he was going to wear is one with blackface, and then tweeted a picture of it with somebody in blackface in a KKK uh, costume. That's the president of the largest evangelical university in America. White evangelicalism is white supremacy, and that is encouraged and backed by the President of the United States and most white evangelicals. That's what Christianity in our country is. And the prophet Amos says, I hate and reject these stupid festivals. I don't enjoy your joyous assemblies. And in our country, All they stand for is to camouflage a racist, white supremacist society in which perpetuates mass inequity. What is the church in 2020? Is it going to perpetuate this kind of inequity by going back to joyous assemblies and pretending like the inequities in society don't exist? Or is it going to be the church moved in the spirit towards justice, a holy uprising for justice. I mean, what, what are we going to do, church? If, if Pentecost is the birthday of the church, uh, I can't help but think that the church in our country has to be reborn. It has to be reborn. If... If what it means to be the church today is that uh, the majority of people just go to a church service on Sundays and yet say nothing about the injustices across society, then uh, it's 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 just not church. At least it's not the church of it's not church in the spirit. It's not a, it's not a church that listens to the movements of the spirit. Uh, I think James Cone is right. Uh, the gospel 
in America today needs to be more like black power. It just, it just has to be because that is where the injustice lies. And not just in this one instance, across society that disproportionately affects people of color in every facet of us, of our society. And the God of the Bible is the God of the oppressed. And yet, if you were to go into any church service uh, on a Sunday morning, I'm not sure you would pick up on that. Uh, If you cannot hear that the inequities and injustices of the moment are bigger than this one instance, or just a few bad apples in our police departments, uh, you're not listening to the Spirit. If you cannot hear that systemic racism has disproportionately affected communities of color during the pandemic, you're not listening to the Spirit. If you can't hear that poverty, education, healthcare, housing, uh, ecological devastation, you know, it doesn't allow equal access to, to clean air or clean water. Uh, if you cannot hear that those are human rights and pro-life issues, you're not listening to the Spirit. If you consider yourself a Christian, but also support a president in the United States who has encouraged police brutality in the past, he incites violence against black and brown protesters, called them thugs, and then quotes a famous racist, George Wallace, uh, quote, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. That was great. Uh, and considers Nazis and white supremacists very fine people and very good people. If you're a Christian that supports this man, you're not listening to the Spirit. The God of the Bible is the God of the oppressed. And in white evangelicalism and conservative Christianity in the United States in 2020 are camouflaged institutions of white supremacy. They enjoy their king in the White House. They enjoy their people in the Senate who call themselves pro-life to mask the fact that they're actually anti-life. That's the big secret. (laughs) They call themselves pro-life so that they can rip away all the life and dignity in healthcare, education, housing, uh, ecological devastation, education, did I already say education, poverty, uh, to perpetuate mass inequities across society that then lead to <laughs> further uh, racialized policies uh, in, which, in which people of color in communities that per- like continually continue to live in poverty can never have an equal opportunity to uh, the dignity of their human life. It is anti-life priorities and anti-life policies supported by 90 plus percent of Republicans, 80 plus percent of evangelical Christians support a president who calls Nazis very fine people. I mean, it's absolutely absurd, absurd, but it's serious stuff. Uh, you know, these priorities and policies speak for themselves. They encourage the oppression of the poor in our communities by implementing policies that rob the dignity of human life by cutting food subsidies 
working against workers' rights uh, to, for a living wage, suing states to restrict access to health care, cutting education and housing spending so as to increase the federal deficit through tax cuts to millionaires, lobbyists, corporations that exploit human beings and the environment for profit. So are we listening to the Spirit on the birthday of the Church? Is there an opportunity for the Church to be reborn? one in which that encourages and inspires and mobilizes us for our lives to speak loudly for justice? Does your vote speak loudly for justice? Do you care about more than just the injustices at the moment to include the racist structures and systems that we all live in that are being upheld to purposefully perpetuate inequity? Can the church be reborn? We're grieving, we're mourning, we're angry. Uh, there's lots of confusion on what to do. You know, can we have a proactive vision for reconciliation, redemption, and justice? I'm thinking back at the Amos uh, text. Let's see if I can find it. And maybe this is where, where I'll close this morning. Um, and, and we'll listen to, to Michael Waters talk. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. May that be our prayer today, church. That we would let justice roll down like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. You know, Dr. King, and I you know, always try to root my response in history. I think Dr. King put it best in his book, uh, Why We Can't Wait. And it's a very painful acknowledgement. Uh, and he extends that conversation even to his final book, Where Do We Go From Here? And it's this idea. He suggests that even more so, where do we go from here? That white people in general were committed, quote unquote, to ending some of them, the moderate white persons, this, this, this level of brutality that brought about, say, the bombing of 16th Street Baptist Church, that that, that, that was intolerable. They could not stand for that but that they had not fully committed themselves to making uh, their black brothers and sisters equal mm-hmm. to bringing about equity. So it was in one voice, no, we can't have all of this killing and bloodshed. That's, that's unacceptable, but I still don't want you living next door to me. I just don't want you shopping in the same stores that I shop in. Don't want you marrying my daughter or my son. So we'll, we'll stop the harm, but we don't necessarily see you as an equal brother and sister in God. Hmm. And, and that's where much of our work falls short. Uh, and until we have a full commitment to see each other in that space of equality as one with each other, brothers and sisters in God together, we can't ever really repair the harm that continues to happen in our nation, right? Because we're very upset. And I understand why. I mean, seeing what we've seen today and in days past and unfortunately in days to come, this very visible lynching, right? That's only a part of the harm, right? That is a part of a greater system. Uh, you have harm that is caused by persons who are forced to live in these impoverished areas uh, with medical apartheid and food apartheid. That is a daily harm that brings about a great body count. We have the resegregating of our public schools. We have this very odd thing 
where black American women are actually the most educated people group in America, but also the lowest paid. And so we don't have this equity of resource. Don't give everyone the same opportunity that it would take a black woman in America working an additional nine months. She had to find an additional nine months in a year in order to equate to a white male counterpart within the same job. Right. So we have to be horrified by it all. Be as horrified by what happened to Mr. Floyd as we should be uh, that there's no fresh produce and groceries uh, in a certain neighborhood. Be as horrified about what happens to Breonna Taylor as we should be about of a lack of access to quality education for our kids because it all feeds off of each other. So what do we do? That's a great question. People have asked it all the time. And Yes, there are legal and policy remedies, and we can surely talk about those things, things that have been done in the past, things that are being undone that should be reinforced, like voter suppression. That's a major issue and challenge of our time. But at the end of the day, Doug, the problem with what we're seeing here really is going to be about a change of the heart, a change of the soul. It's an internal change, right? That won't allow you to place your knee on the neck of your brother as he cries out for breath. That, that, that's something that, I mean, it's already against the law. I mean, it's, there are already things on the books uh, that the police should or should not do, right? It's already there, but that doesn't stop it from happening. That's something else internal that must happen. When, when Darren Wilson killed uh, Mike Brown in Ferguson, uh, he went on record of saying that when Mike Brown, allegedly approached him, he said he saw a demon. That's something that's always resonated with me, something otherworldly, something inherently evil that you see embodied in a young man approaching you. And the reality is, I think it's often the case that unfortunately, uh, when we look at each other, uh, we do through these clouded lenses that does not allow us to see our full humanity and the recognition that, frankly, at the end of the day, we all desire and aspire for the same things, to love and to be loved, to care and to be cared for, to have our needs met and maybe have a little more left over to help supply the needs of others. I think that is our shared humanity. That is our shared opportunity. That's why the work of our forebears was so important, because they pressed into that reality. They provided that necessary spiritual uh, rhetoric that became a part of our identity. We got to reclaim, if you will, that mantle for this day and advance with similar cause. I mean, that that one singular view for me uh, from Dr. King's picture of the world he hoped to come, that one day my children will live in a nation where they are not judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. That's still the litmus test to see our humanity and to judge one another lovingly and with grace. How long shall they kill our prophets while we stand aside and look? Yes, some say it's just a part of it We've got to fulfill the book Won't you hear to sing These songs of freedom Is all I ever had Redemption